0: Well, hi there. Happy Monday. Welcome to the podcast of the Kelly Cutrera Show for Monday, February 22nd. Coming up, we're going to talk with our aviation expert, Jock Williams, about the Boeing plane that dropped parts of its engine all over Denver and how the 777s with that particular engine type have now been grounded by Boeing. But first, tax season officially kicks off today here to talk about uh, what's going on this tax season. Will it be more hectic than normal as we try to navigate How to apply pandemic relief to the mix, Rabina Ahmed Hawk, our Global News Radio personal finance expert. Welcome to the show, Rabina. Good to have you back on.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Kelly. So what are the
0: challenges of this tax season, Rabina?
1: Well, you know, 2020 was a challenging year when you look at it from any any sort of perspective, especially when it comes to people's finances. Millions of people lost their jobs in uh, March when the pandemic was declared. Millions of people then used CERB, the CERB, to get through uh, that period of time when they weren't working. And so when tax season, um, when we start filing our taxes for the 2020 year, you may have a number of different documents. You will have maybe a T4 for your work, and then you may have a T4. also from the CERB that you collected or recovery benefits that you collected, and you may have collected some EI. So just, you know, uh, be a little bit more uh, quick when it comes to getting your taxes together, because you Mm. probably are going to have a lot of different paperwork that you have never had to deal with before.
0: Okay, let's roll through what's different from past years.
1: So what the main difference this year is that uh, this work from home uh, deduction that normally, if you work in an office, you would not be able to make. So the government, federal government, recognized that Canadians who were sent home because of the pandemic had to work from home for, you know, last 10, 11 months, um, have had to ha- incur some out-of-pocket expenses. And that could be for pens and paper, or an ink cartridge, or increased cost for internet, or your cell phone usage. And so they have introduced this flat deduction that Canadians who are working from home can make up to $400. There's a couple of ways you qualify for that. I think most people would. Uh, You have to have worked four weeks consecutively from home uh, for at least 50% of the time, and it's $2 per day. So you can calculate what that means for you. And if you have increased expenses beyond that and as well if you want to uh, claim a part of your home as your home office a percentage of it you can also ask your employer to fill out what's called a t2200s or a t777s Uh, both of those forms have to be uh, signed by your employer saying that you as their employee had out-of-pocket expenses that were not covered by them and uh, you would like to claim those now if you use those t forms you have to keep the receipts and uh, make sure you keep them for seven years because the CRA can come back and ask you for proof that you actually had those expenses.
0: All right. One of the things is that isn't ineligible from working from home, though, and you have to keep this in mind is you like like furniture. You can't claim a desk chair or something like that or a desk, Right.
1: Yeah, I mean if you're a self-employed person and you have to buy a, a chair for your home office, you can claim that uh because that falls into uh you know, you can go on the CRA website it has a list of things that you can claim. But uh the the new cre- uh the, the new deductions for those people that have been working from home due to COVID-19 are not as uh as long. And so mm-hmm. I will tweet out a link, Kelly, there you know, it, it is pretty basic stuff that you can yeah. claim. Uh, But it is at least something um, and also increased utility costs. So the fact that you were at home and you were using more utilities, which obviously you wouldn't use if you had gone into your job. um, Those are the things that they are recognizing that have had an increased cost. They're not recognizing a desk chair or a desk or other furniture type items um, as eligible expenses. But for the $400 flat deduction, you don't need receipts. Um, So I'm not, you know, so you can you can claim that as long as you can show that you were working from home for 50% of the time for four consecutive weeks for $2 a day up to 400 bucks.
0: Anything else that stands out as something that we should be really aware of when we do our taxes this year?
1: Yeah, this one's for parents. Um, Usually you have uh, some childcare expenses that you can claim as a deduction, up to $8,000 for children seven and under, and then up to $5,000 for children eight to 16. Um, Most people didn't have much childcare expenses in 2020 um, because their daycares were closed or they kept their kids home because they were worried about uh, their kids getting exposed to COVID-19. And so I just want some parents to do their math now because they may find that their tax bill is higher this year because they don't have those deductions to claim because they simply didn't have those expenses. Um, so, you know, you may be used to writing off $16,000 a year from child care expenses that you simply don't have. And if there's been no change in your salary, that's $16,000 now that you cannot deduct. And right. so that may have an impact on your return and uh, um, on your tax burden uh, overall.
0: Many people do taxes themselves online with those you file um, programs, will they be fairly easy to navigate when it comes to pandemic programs or will we need accountants?
1: Well, I mean, I think they will be still fairly easy to navigate, but I have really been promoting this idea of self-care. And if you Are stressed out about your taxes if you are feeling overwhelmed by all these new deductions that you can make and how they work and what's eligible. And just generally speaking, it's a really stressful time for a lot of people. You know, virtual school is still going on. Um, If you've chosen to keep your kids home, many people are still working from home with, you know, uh, on their kitchen tables. Uh, Maybe pay someone this year to, to help you do your taxes. You don't have to go to a fancy accountant and pay those big fees. You can use a tax specialist. There's a lot of them that are pretty um, reasonable in their in the cost, you can get your tax done, uh, taxes done in about a day, that's going to alleviate a lot of the stress that you may be feeling. So I'm not here to promote, you know, t- accountants or tax specialists. But if you want to do some self care, and you want to pay for something that's going to help you alleviate some stress, this may be the year to do it. But generally speaking, I'm a big fan of those um U-file and those other mm-hmm. softwares that you mentioned, uh, because they, you know, most people just have a T4 and a bunch of RSP slips, and it's not very complicated. So, and those softwares make it really easy. And especially if you use them year over year, um, all your information is already populated in there. It's just a question of going and updating it for the current year. So generally speaking, I would say those softwares are excellent for anyone filing their taxes.
0: Okay, let's talk about the accounts very quickly. Can you expect accountants to charge more than usable, usual, given that, you know, we've already mentioned there's going to be extra deductions and more complications this year?
1: I mean, if an accountant is spending more time to file your taxes, they are going to charge you for that time. I don't think they'll charge you just because there are uh, new deductions. But if they have to spend time figuring out, you know, what you qualify for and how it's all going to work for you, then that would be um, that would be time that you would be charged for. It's just like anything else. If you go right. to any kind of specialist and you use their time, you got to pay for it. I would really recommend that if you're working with an accountant, that you ask them up front what the costs are going to be, and they can give you probably uh, a pretty. Pretty fair idea of how much it's going to cost you. So if it's already out of your budget, maybe you need to go to a tax specialist, which is not going to be as expensive. Or maybe you want to try to do it yourself using those softwares, which is actually going to be the, the cheapest way to, to get your taxes done. You may be surprised, uh, you know, spending a weekend getting, you know, all your paperwork together. You may be surprised how easy it actually is when you use those softwares.
0: Rabina, I want to thank you for your time. It's always a, a pleasure having you on the show. And, and your insight, I'm sure, has uh, has helped out a lot of people that are just like, what? Today?
1: Tax season starts? When's the deadline? <laughs> Well, the deadline to file your tax return is April 30th, okay. but the deadline to make an RRSP contribution for the 2020 year is March 1st. So just a really quick note that if you can just calculate how much salary you made in 2020, um, and if you can lower yourself to the next marginal tax bracket, that's going to really help you if you if you can afford to make that extra contribution.
0: Amazing. Thanks so much, Rubina. Thank you. One of the big stories that you probably saw trending over the weekend about this Boeing 777. Headed uh, to Honolulu, started dropping engine parts over Denver over this weekend, and luckily uh, managed to land safely. Here to talk about it, Jock Williams, pilot and aviation expert for 640 Toronto. Welcome to the show. Good to have you on. Hi,
2: glad to be back, Kelly.
0: It's been a while. You know, one job I would not like to have, despite I'm sure the good paycheck, is I wouldn't want to be uh, the CEO of Boeing. Holy moly.
2: Yeah, in fact, they've had to go and, and actually ground one of their own airplane types as of today, uh, just in an excess perhaps of safety, but they they don't want to acquire another bad reputation, and they've had their difficulties in the recent year.
0: And the grounding that we're talking about it is—is is it uh, the seven-seven-seven that had
2: models triple seven? Yeah, okay. older triple sevens with the Pratt and Whitney engines. There are other triple sevens with Rolls Royce engines, and the Rolls Royces are not uh, affected by this. But it's, well, uh, the Rolls
0: Royce are the Cadillac of engines, though. No, <laughs> yes. I had to. I, I couldn't resist, Jock. Like I knew described. you'd get it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> That I knew good. you'd get it. it.
0: All right, so let's talk about what um, they the preliminary. They've done some preliminary um, investigations because they had parts all over the place uh, yeah. from this plane that dropped parts over Denver. Can you talk about what they learned?
2: Well, sure. Generally speaking, when a, a jet engine vibrates itself out of existence, it's because a fan blade or or some internal piece of uh, mechanism has come adrift and left the the rotary mechanism unbalanced. You've probably experienced this in your washing machine, ironically. If it's loaded incorrectly, mm-hmm. when it hits the spin cycle, it starts to jump around. Well, that's from a machine that's trying to go around about 200 revolutions per minute. T- consider one that's going around maybe 30,000 revolutions per minute, and it's going to shake itself to bits in no time. So most jet engines actually have a mechanism that senses the onset of any kind of vibration of that sort and shuts the engine down. Why this one continued uh, uncontained, I really don't know. Mm. But that's the other thing that people don't realize. Most jet engines are actually surrounded by armor plate that's designed to keep the engine parts inside the engine rather than throwing them at high velocity. Always
0: advisable.
2: Yeah, it's better. But a pretty dramatic uh, photography. Somebody was pointing a camera out the window and got some good photography of this. It's fascinating if you, if you Google it.
0: It's, well, you call it fascinating because you're a pilot and you've lived through scary (laughs) moments. Uh, I call it terrifying because I'm a normal individual that would look outside (laughs) and see, uh, uh, the flames inside an engine is something that would alarm me if I'm on that plane. So why would the, so if we've got an uneven load, sort of taking that that analogy of the washing machine. Yeah, Yeah. why would the engine then burst into flames? Because it was fully engulfed.
2: Yeah, there's always a fire inside a jet engine. People don't realize that, but there's always flames in there. It's just that you can't see them because they're covered up, as I said, by this, effectively, by this armor plate layer and by various other parts of the engine nacelle. If you if you check on Google or any place else you can get news photography you'll see pictures uh, and incidentally this didn't just happen once yesterday it happened twice there was a, a second airplane a Boeing seven forty seven same engine potentially uh, flying out of Belgium or excuse me flying out of Holland but it forced landed in Belgium. Uh, and it had the same sort of problem. So uh, you know, we're, obviously, we're going to have to be careful about those engines, but only in terms of inspecting them. It may be that they'll have to change the inspection frequency from once every thousand flights to once every five hundred flights, or maybe once every two hundred flights. So but it's it's not a big deal, but it's uh, uh, it's going to cost. Uh, what
0: what what are you looking for when you're inspecting? Well, like, you're not, they miss? In,
2: in many cases, you're not actually looking at all. You're putting an electric current through a metal piece, and, and they know that if the piece is intact with no cracks, you'll get a certain reading on the scope. And and if it is not intact, if there's a crack, uh, the scope will say you've got a cracked wheel here. So now they take that engine apart. But in the meantime, like you can just take the engine off the airplane, put another one on and use the airplane. There's not a problem. But obviously, we've discovered that there's some kind of a problem. It, it, it sounds to me like this particular engine, the one in Denver, threw two fans. Look upon those two fans as two, say, one-pound bullets each, that that could throw themselves at the at the containment disc. And if, if they penetrate the containment disc, they could feasibly penetrate the wing of the aircraft. They could cause problems. But that's the beauty of airplanes that have pylon-mounted engines. You can, you can burn the engine right off an airplane of that sort, and it doesn't hurt the rest of the airplane. So the airplane's designed to have that happen. If, if the worst comes to worst, the pylon breaks and the engine falls away. So when it falls on a town, it's, that's sort of what it's designed to do, rather than and throw itself through the wing of the aircraft and bring the aircraft down.
0: One of one of the most amusing things to me when I talk to you is your dark sense of humor because you you giggle. At things that most people would just gasp in horror at. Um, it's just because you know that the, rel- the that the odds are that everybody is going to be safe. But now, right. look at how, look at how close that, uh, piece of the engine. And the one that I'm talking about is the one that I'm yeah. sure everybody's conjuring right now that saw the, the photos. That round circular piece that, that fits onto, uh, the outside of the engine. It's like yeah. just a big round, I guess cover. Yeah,
2: we call it a, a nacelle, engine nacelle.
0: Yeah, that was on the tip of my tongue. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that how big is that? Cuz that was outside somebody's house like it it is literally right outside their front steps. Yeah, so uh, if they, you the figure how tall that is was that?
2: quoted the figure that was quoted in the in the uh, computer article that I read was that it's 15 feet across, and that could well be a, a A full-size man can easily stand up in the air intake end of one of these engines, and uh, you know it's pretty big. Also, you'll note if you saw the same article as I did mm-hmm. that one of them punctured the roof of a car quite nicely, and if you'd been sitting in the car inside, you would have probably been punctured yourself. So we were very lucky that really nobody on the ground was seriously hurt. I think there was one lady who was injured a little, but not much.
0: I think a kid tried to pick up some smoldering um, parts and, and learned yeah. a lesson very quickly. Cause, uh <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's true. I
2: guess I, I I never thought of myself as having a sick sense of humor, but it is kind of funny when you think of it. But but I'll tell you this, there'll be people writing in from all over Colorado now saying how something of theirs was damaged. You know, the house, the roof, the car, the, uh, the dog in the backyard or whatever. There'll be thought... people that'll be claiming PTSD from this.
0: Let me let me ask you about the the age of the engine. Are these particularly are these particularly old engines? Is that no. the problem here?
2: No, no, they probably uh, average maybe 15 years or less old, and and that isn't the way we we measure jet engines. We do it by the number of hours of running time. But they're relatively, uh, the the airplane itself is only about 15 years old, so that uh, there aren't really old ones around. But this isn't an age thing. This is a vibration thing. A metallurgy problem. I mean, maybe when the initial piece of metal that the the wheel was made from uh, arrived at Boeing and Boeing started to work on it, maybe it already had bubbles inside that eventually would Mm -hmm. lead to cracking and so on. We're so ridiculously careful about these things, but still, once in a while, something slips through.
0: Okay, so how do you account for two? You know, once in a while, but now we're talking about another
2: and one's over in Belgium and the other one's here. Well, there's tens of thousands. Now, there's not tens of thousands of uh, triple sevens of that vintage, but there are tens of thousands of airplanes flying around, and every once in a while something happens, as we found out with the 737 MAX uh, 7 and 8 series. So they really they hit the paper. Yeah, but big I got
0: to stop you for a second, Jock. Isn't the, the when you bring in the maxes though? That's a a different sort of something has happened, right?
2: Well, yeah, entirely different. That's not a shortcoming of metallurgy or something. Right. It was a, a design problem. But but in reality, it was a training problem besides the pilot didn't do the right thing. Mm-hmm. But but the basic thing is this is a metallurgy problem and or an engine maintenance problem. Maybe at some point a crow or a seagull or whatever hit one of these fan blades and and bent it a little bit and just put enough strain on it to crack it and maybe 500 hours of flying later the vibration from that crack extended far enough that now it throws the piece of metal tries to throw it right right outside of the airplane Well, once in a while, it just happens that it succeeds and gets outside the airplane, and now you've got a bigger problem. But you still don't have a problem that's going to bring the airplane down. Any airplane you see flying around with two engines can fly on one. Similarly, any flying around with four engines can fly on two so that you can, you can lose half your engines and you can still be fine. If you lose more than that, you can be in trouble. But
0: I, I know that you're the uh, aviation expert, but I would, like, I would beg to differ with you. You do have a problem where, <laughs> where the planes have been brought down because Boeing's grounded those 777 airplanes for a while now, right?
2: Well, that, that in reality was in an excess of caution to make right. sure that they weren't – you, you would not want to have a company of the status of Boeing concealing problems. If it ever came out that Boeing willfully mm-hmm. concealed the problem
0: didn't it though
2: no Just recently? I, w- I would say no i mean obviously okay. it's it's a matter of opinion but but in reality, I think they acted very quickly and very responsibly and probably way more than they needed to. Mm-hmm. You consider there are seven hundred plus airplanes that cost a hundred million each that have been sitting on the ground not being used. For the last year and a half, do the math and figure out what the the interest payments would be on that. Mm -hmm. Well, that's largely because Boeing was very responsible and reported to the United States Federal Aviation Agency and to our Transport Canada. You may want to look at this. and, And then those agencies took very conservative steps to make sure the public was protected.
0: But wasn't that after two crashes?
2: Yeah, two crashes and fourteen thousand flights in between them. <laughs> you know, it, we, see, we're spoiled. We think that airplanes should never crash. In reality, man should never fly. <laughs> that's that's the truth of the situation. God never meant us to fly. <laughs>
0: Jock, we that is an. T- you have just opened a feet. can of worms that could end up being a really interesting call segment, but I got to leave it at that because I am actually time constrained. But I, I, well, I always
2: appreciate. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I always appreciate uh, talking to you, so it's tempting.
2: Good talking to you, Kelly. See you have
0: in. a great day, Jock. It's Jock Bye. Williams, R640 Toronto pilot and aviation expert. He used to be a fighter pilot. Thanks so much for tuning into the podcast. It's always a pleasure to have you along. Now, don't forget. This podcast really is just a condensed version of the three-hour extravaganza that we like to call The Kelly Gutrera Show, live between 9 and noon, Monday through Friday. You can listen online at 640toronto.com. Have a great day.